two weeks ago, we began to look at a, a new section in the book of Ephesians. With Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verses 22 down to 6, 9, the Apostle Paul is discussing family relationships. Family relationships. And it's, it's not an entirely new topic because he's been, been telling the Ephesian Christians and us how to be different, that we are to be different that from what we once were, to be different from the surrounding culture. And if there's one area where it's paramount that we are to be different from what we once were, and one area where it's, it's imperative that we are different from the surrounding culture, it's in our families, especially in marriage. Now, as I set out to, to preach this message, I realized that we have people in all kinds of different circumstances here. We, we have people who, who, who are married and, and are, are in, in marriages where together they're, they're really striving to work well for the glory of God. We have people here who once were married. And through various circumstances, whether it is through death or the, the, the trauma of of separation and divorce, you are no longer married. And, and I realize that, that for you, that, that a message like this is, is liable to, to bring up some painful things. And, and my prayer for you is that, is that you will be comforted in the gospel, and that, that, that you won't say, well, this doesn't any longer apply to me, that, that, I will, that you will be able to, to, to see and to, to glean from it, to say, okay, well, what is it that applies to me in my circumstances now as one who was once married? Likewise, we have those who are not married but would like to be married. And, and in some cases, there, there are those who, who want to be married and, and, and really have, have felt un, unable to, to, to be married, for, again, for various circumstances, but, and, and even just the, the, the difficulties of, of the whole dating scene. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm not, I'm not any of that any, any longer, but I, I feel your pain in that. And my prayer is that, that for you who are not married but, but want to be married, that you will see this as an opportunity to begin to develop and to, to cultivate these characteristics in your life. That you'll be seeking to say, praise God, I'm, I'm not married yet, and, and I, I'm thankful that I have this extra time to be able to work on these things, to, to prepare myself to be this kind of man or this kind of woman in marriage. But for those who are married, I, I, I think that, that we would all agree that, that marriage is, is not only one of the most important places for us to be different, but it's also one of the most difficult places for us to be different from what we once were. Because marriage is the place where, where your, your, your fleshy responses are, are most likely to come to the surface. Marriage is, is the place where... where most often your sin is going to be exposed. And let's face it, your workmates aren't going to see the full extent of your sin. Your neighbors aren't going to see the full extent of your sin. Your, your, your fellow churchgoers are not going to see the full extent of your sin. It's, it's easy to play nice for a few hours every day or, or on a Sunday. But your spouse lives with you. They see the real you. And sadly, we often save our worst behavior for those who are closest to us. 
So marriage is one of the most difficult places for us to be different from what we once were. But marriage is also one of the most difficult places to be different from the surrounding culture because we're, we're constantly bombarded with messages from the culture that, that say that marriage is something bad or, or something to be avoided altogether. Remember at my bachelor party, a, a bunch of us rented surfboards and, and we, we went down to the beach in, in Southern California. And when I went to, to rent the boards, I think we had two boards, it, the, uh, the, the, the guy at the board shop, I told him I was getting married in a couple days, and he said, why would you want to ruin a perfectly good relationship by getting married? Now, we, we laugh at that, but, but that's the reality. That is how most people in our culture view marriage. They, they view marriage as, 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 a, as a, a painful existence or, or something to be avoided altogether. We're also constantly being bombarded by, by messages that, that try to corrupt God's plan and God's purpose for marriage. On the one hand, you have people who, who pervert marriage from, from what God intended as one man and, and one woman. But on the other hand, you, you have people who pervert the, the roles and relationships of, of marriage so that, that there is an avoidance of, of God's plan in, in, in headship and submission in marriage. And, and I've told you the story before, but but on the day of, of our wedding, when when Jay and I walked out of the church, literally the, the, the first person to approach us was a woman who was 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 really upset uh, about the message that, that the, the preacher had given about, about headship and submission in marriage. And, and she kind of, I'd say, accosted us about the message of that. You can see from there, if, if you want to come and watch our, our wedding video sometime, you can actually see this. Some of got footage of that. But, but it's no audio, but thankfully maybe. But, but that's the message of, of our world. And, and we're, we're constantly bombarded with these messages that, that corrupt and twist marriage so that it's not what God had intended. Marriage rules is the issue that we're going to be continuing to examine this morning. As I explained two weeks ago when we looked at it at Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, this is really one sermon in, in three parts, from, from down to verse 33, or, or possibly if I don't get all the way to, to verse 30 this morning, it'll be one sermon in four parts. The first part was, was verses 22 to 24. The focus there was on, on, the, uh, on the role of the wife in submitting to her husband, and this morning, verses 25 to, to 27, possibly 30, and then after that we're going to look um, down on to verse 33. Again, in the first sermon, we looked at the wife's responsibility. And this morning, we're going to see the husband's responsibility. And the next time, we're going to bring it all together um, to, to see, the, see the Lord's ultimate purpose for marriage. But if you remember from last time, I, I spoke about how in the New Testament, we, we see how, how Christians have been given the opportunity to overturn the effects of the curse on marriage from Genesis 3.16, where the Lord said to Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband, and to, you, to and he will rule over you. So, so what the Lord was saying to, to Eve there is that your desire will be to control your husband, to usurp his authority, and that in turn he is going to oppress you. And we see that all over the, the culture. And they, they, we see the oppression of, of women by men. This is, this is a horrific thing, and it is everywhere in our culture. 
It's, it's all around the world. We see women in, in the Middle East who are, are wives are, are, are to walk five paces behind their husbands and to wear a, a niqab. It's a, a full covering in those, those hot countries that are under a, a big black tent, basically. Or in India, where, where you have women. This still happens that where widows are burned on their husbands' funeral pyres. This still happens today. And here in this culture, we have the, the, the horrors of abortion. There's 100,000 babies killed every year in this country. And the, the majority of those babies who are killed are little girls. This is, a, this is violence against women and often by male doctors. There's also the, the, the porn industry. This is abuse of women. You would be shocked if you, if you heard, I don't remember the exact statistics, but it's, it's I believe it's one-third of, of women over the age of 16 who have been, who have been the victims of violence. Either, either sexual or, or physical violence. I mean, to, to remember, this is still happening in our culture. It's not just over there, it's right here. And so we, in our marriages, have the opportunity to overturn the effects of the curse. We have the opportunity to live out, to live out the relationship between Christ and the church. And last time we, we saw from verse 24 that, that wives are submit to their husbands, to submit to their husbands as a Lord. And we saw what this doesn't mean. It, it, it doesn't mean that women are inferior. That women are equal in the most important ways as Christians. But they have different complementary roles. It also doesn't mean that, that all women are to submit to all men. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. It also doesn't cancel the, the exhortation to mutual submission in verse 21, which, which speaks of general relationships in the church. But here the focus is, is on, in, in verses 22 to 33, it's the focus of husbands and wives in marriage. It also doesn't mean that submission on the part of wives is equal to the submission of them unto the Lord, it's, but as part of their submission to the Lord. That's what we saw last time, but, but this morning we're going to be focusing and turning our attention to men. So men, buckle up. It, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's not been easy for me as I've prepared this message. It's, it's not been easy for me as I've known that I was going to have to preach on this today. So I've been under the weight of this. It's your turn now. So again, this morning, we're, we're focusing on the command that you are to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, that's, that's convicting enough. I could just sit down and, and just leave you to, to ruminate on that. But I'm just going to unpack this, and, and as Paul does here, and to, to show you what this means. Wives, there's no doubt that the command that is given to you to submit to your husband is difficult. 
And the command is made more difficult because your husband does not love you like Christ loved the church. The, the, the command for you to, to submit to your husband, it's not, though, because your husband deserves it. It's most often he doesn't. But when you submit to your husband, you're submitting to the Lord. As difficult as it is for you to submit to your husband, we need to, to admit here that the bar is, is even higher for men. Because the standard is Christ. The standard is Christ. So this morning we're going to see the command to, to, to love like Christ. How that's given to husbands and how that works itself out. How that works itself out in your marriage. So first of all we're going to see from, from verse 25 that the command to love like Christ. Then for verses 26 and 27, to cleanse like Christ. And then if we get to it this morning from verses uh, 28 and 29, to nurture like Christ. So first of all, love like Christ. Verse 25. Well, in order to understand verse 25, you need to look back at verse 24. You need to, to see that the, the command there was... was um, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their, to their husbands. Now, now we focus on, on the responsibility of women in that passage, but, but what else can you see there? It's that the church submits to Christ. Husbands, are you part of the church? then you are to submit to Christ. And that governs the way that you are going to live in relationship with your wife, your submissive submission to Christ. And if you are not submitting to Christ, you are not part of the church. I've said this many times, if He is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. Both husbands and wives must submit to Christ. And so husbands, in this passage, you are commanded to submit to Christ by loving like Christ. You are, you are commanded to submit to Christ by loving like Christ. Well, what is love? It's the topic of, of countless fluffy songs you can hear on the radio. What is love? Well, people use the word love in all kinds of different ways. People can say I love my wife, or I love my kids, or I love my church, or I love hockey, or I love pizza. It's really an undermining of the word love. We need to let God's word define love for us. And there are three words that are usually translated love in the New Testament. The one that's used here most often means to have love for, for someone or something based on, some, on sincere appreciation and high regard. And it's, it's a, a love that is, is um, it's not, it, it has no conditions on it. It's unconditional love. And the, the greatest definition of love, as I'm sure you're well aware, is, is found in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Let me read it for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so that, that's, that's a noun there, but it it's describes what love is supposed to look like. And, and actually in view there, it's, it's really the, the, the love principle for the church, but it's definitely applicable in your marriage. So that's, that's the greatest definition of love. But the greatest expression of love is found in John 3.16 or, or in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, my friends, is the greatest expression of love. That is how Christ loved us, and that is how we husbands are commanded to love our wives. I began this point by, by saying that as part of the church, husbands need to submit to Christ. But your being part of the church also provides motivation for you loving your wife because Christ loved the church, because he gave himself up for you. Because Christ gave himself up for you, then, then you are eager to submit to him by loving your wife. Look at the rest of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are called to have the love that reflects the love of Christ. Paul doesn't, doesn't water this down here. Paul doesn't make it more, more approachable or more achievable. He, he sets the bar extremely high. There is no higher standard than the love of Christ. And husbands, this is the love that you are called to. That you need to understand. You need to understand just how countercultural that was when Paul wrote it. Not just today, it's still countercultural, but, but I, I would argue that even more so in Paul's day, this was the express opposite of, of what the culture celebrated, of what the culture, of what the culture embraced. That this command for husbands to love their wives is found nowhere else in the contemporary literature. Nowhere else in, in Paul's day was somebody writing these kinds of things. It's not in the rabbinic in the rabbinic literature, it's not in the Greco-Roman household codes, it's not there. The command for husbands to love their wives is not there. But, you know, even if it were there, even if the command for husbands to love their wives was there, none of them would have any concept of the extent to which you are called to love your wife, of that high standard of Christ let alone the ability to carry it out. We're commanded to love like Christ. We are called to love like Christ. If you look back at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, the command is there given generally. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And hear this, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There, it, it's more general. This command to love is for the whole church. To, to love one another. And Christ, again, is, is lifted up as the standard. Walk in love like Christ. Again, how did Christ love us? 
the same way that he loves us in verse 25. He gave himself up for us. He died for us. We sang this earlier in the hymn, The Church is One Foundation. From heaven he came and saw her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Now these words are familiar to us. But let those truths again just wash over your heart afresh. Because you're, you're, well, it's, it's, for starters, it's, it's unique because the, the closest human relationship that you have is a relationship that you have with your wife, not your kids, not your parents, not even a, a lifelong friend, but the, the closest earthly relationship that you have is the relationship that you have with your wife. And if we get there, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the one flesh nature of that later on this morning. This closeness in your relationship brings both an aid and a challenge. It brings an aid because, because this, this, is the, the, this is the woman that, that you have walked with through the, the joys and the trials of life. You, you've shared some of the, the sweetest experiences and some of the most difficult experiences together. You, 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 you've celebrated birth together. You've grieved death together. She, she has loved you and served you for years. She's washed your socks. She's made your, your dinners. She's cared for you when you were sick. She's prayed for you regularly. And, and all of these things make it easier. They're, they're an aid for you to love your wife. You, you at least hope so. But here also is the challenge. You're married to a sinner. You're both married to a sinner. Like I said earlier, we often save our worst behavior for those who are closest to us. Husbands, she's seen you at your best. She's also seen you at your worst. You sit against her. And, and sinners tend to respond sinfully when they're sinned against. You've sinned against her, she's sinned against you, and it escalates. It's really some of the most painful wounds that, that you have experienced or can experience. It's felt in marriage. It's not necessarily that they hurt you the most, although that is possible. But it's the closeness that makes the wounds that you feel that much more painful. Some of us maybe even here this morning are reminded of wounds that have been inflicted against us by our spouse. But I want to, to lay down a, a warning here. I'm not one
wanting to say anything to, to undermine or to minimize the, the pain that has been inflicted on you in marriage or in any other relationship for that matter. But if you go through a, a message like this and you're primarily concerned, and maybe you've already been gone there many times in your heart, if you're primarily concerned about how your spouse is failing, You're on dangerous ground. May all of us be first and foremost aware of the ways not that our spouse has sinned against us or not that anyone else has sinned against us, but, but the way we fall short. The way that, that we have sinned and continue to sin in, in this area. And that's, that's true whenever I preach. It's, there's always a, a, a temptation to be thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that. I hope they're listening to that. But you realize that all the time that you're thinking about that, you're not listening. You need to listen and to apply these things to your own heart, to your own life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, there, 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 are, there are aids and there are challenges because of the closeness of your relationship. But, but here's the great opportunity that you have to love like Christ. Husbands, you have the opportunity to love your wife when she doesn't deserve it. When she doesn't deserve it. And let's face it, if we look at that perfect standard of holiness, that, that she'll never really deserve it. Just like you never really deserve her, her respect and her submission. It comes back to the gospel comes back to the gospel because we do these things out of reverence for the Lord and for all that he's done for us in Christ. That, that provides the, the motivation and also provides the means to be able to seek to obey these commands. The gospel is the cure for, for the hurts that you experience in marriage and in all of life and, and even, even in those moments when those hurts are taking place. You have the opportunity to preach the gospel to yourself so that you will respond in a Christ-honoring way. Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't live in your kitchen. But I've got a feeling that, that, that most often what's happening is that in those moments when you're being sinned against, you react in the flesh and then you have to go back and ask for forgiveness. Am I the only one? that has to do that, to go back and say, oh, I'm so sorry I sinned against you again. Go to the Lord and to your, your spouse. But when you apply the glories of the gospel and preach to yourself what Christ did for you, and, and begin to, to walk in those truths and to grow in these truths, that, you, that you're that much more able. You're that much more able to, to walk in obedience. Remember, 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not just to forgive us, he's faithful to do that, but he's also faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even the unrighteous reactions that you exhibit in your marriage. Now you know when, when your wife is, is, is getting angry at you, you, you know the temptation to get defensive. You know the temptation to get angry. But how are you going to respond? 
How are you going to respond when she is sinning against you? Are you going to listen without defending yourself? And we have no defense apart from the gospel. The gospel is our only defense. Maybe can you possibly take it a step further by the grace of God and, and even in that moment when she is sitting against you to intentionally treat her with kindness. <clears throat> to, to show your love for her. And you know it's in that moment that we're loving most like Christ. Remember Romans 5.8 that I read earlier. For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, men, Christ died for you. And again, this, this becomes the ground and the motivation for you to be able to love your wife even when she doesn't deserve it. Now, I'm not talking about faking it here. You know, I'm not talking about just still having a little care about my wife. That's not what I'm talking about here. Your wife will see through that. Even more than, probably than you can see through it. What I'm talking about here is, is, is not based on emotions. It's an act of your will. Okay, that's true. But it's never just that. It's never just a, a mere act of the will. It is, it is out of supreme love for her. It's out of supreme love for God. This is your motivation. And you can't do that on your own. You can't make yourself be more loving. We'll talk more about that later on. But there's the heart of what it means to, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Because you're, you're more concerned about her than you are about yourself. Christ Jesus gave himself up for her. So husbands, you have the opportunity in marriage to give yourself up for her. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that, that you are to, to literally lay down your life, to take a bullet for your wife. Now, I mean, some of us may be called to do that. I don't know. If the Lord tarries, that might be true. But I think what the Lord is calling us to do is, as sinful men, sometimes even harder than it would be to take a bullet for your wife. It's to die daily. It's to die to your selfish desires, to your perceived needs. It, it's to die to what you want out of preference for your wife. Now, we're going to deal with a lot more practical application of this next time, but, but I really think you're getting the picture here that, that moment by moment, you're to be thinking about what's best for your wife and to do it. To think about what's best your wife and to do it. And do you see why feminists don't get this? Feminists get so hung up on, on verses 22 to 24, what they perceive to be as a, an assault on women's rights, that they don't consider what husbands are being called to. And, and men, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, 
what am I called to? I'm called to love like Christ? And, and you can then deflect it and be thinking about the ways your wife fails in this. And it's like, it's like putting up a wall so, so that you're not listening to what the Holy Spirit will be saying to you. When husbands and wives beginning, begin to understand what God is calling them to do in marriage, and by His grace be, begin to live that out, it is radically transformative. It transforms marriages. It transforms families. It tra transforms churches. It even transforms cultures. So husbands, you are to love like Christ loved the church. Now let's see why. Why he, he loved her and gave himself up for him. I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to get, I'll only get as far as verse 27 today. Husbands, you are called also to cleanse like Christ. In verses 26 and, and 27. This is a practical outworking of the love that you are to have for your wife. It's to cleanse her like Christ. In, in these two verses, we have three so that's, three purpose statements, three reasons why Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, that he might present her in splendor, and that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, you are to love your wives in the same way and for the same reason as Christ. First of all, in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. The word that's translated there, sanctify, means to set apart, to set apart for God and to cleanse from sin. To set apart and to cleanse from sin. Christ died to set the church apart for God and to cleanse her from sin. It's a purpose statement. How does he do that? By the washing of water with the word. And, and by using these words cleanse and the washing of water, he's, he's probably making reference to the, the bridal bath, the, the bath that, that, a, that a bride would have on her wedding day in the ancient Near East. This picture is presented in Ezekiel 16 that was read for us in the call to worship. And then how does that washing take place? It's with the word. The washing with the word. Jesus uses the, the same terminology in John 15, 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And again, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what then does it mean to wash with the water of the word? It means first and foremost to be washed by the word of God, by the gospel. This is how we've all been washed. This is how we've all been, been set apart for God. This is how we are sanctified for God. This is how we are cleansed from sin through the word of God and especially from the gospel. The, the gospel is the first thing that set us apart. The word of God was preached to you in the power of the Holy Spirit you repented turned away from your sin and put your faith in Christ as the Holy Spirit worked in your heart. This was the, the means of your washing. And the, the word of the gospel is also that which keeps cleansing you from sin. As you keep on preaching the gospel to yourself and having it preached to you, it is, it is the, the continual washing that you experience through the, the word of God, and especially again in the gospel, but, but in the whole counsel of God. And, and husbands, you need to do this with your wives. Husbands, you need to, to wash your wife 
in the water of the word. You need to, to have a marriage that is grounded on the, the glories of the gospel, on the truths of the gospel. You need to be, be talking to your wife about the gospel all the time. And when she sins, you need to, to bring the word of the gospel to bear. You need to be praying that, that she would, would grow in these things. That, that you need to be, this is not just even at, at set times of, of devotion. This, that really should be happening. But this is all the time. That the Word of God needs to be central in your marriage as you bring the Word of God to bear on every aspect of your life. Why does Christ sanctify her? Look at, at verse 27. So that he may present her to himself in splendor. He may present her to himself in splendor. This, this follows from the, the previous purpose. The, the cleansing is to present her to himself in splendor, or it can also be translated in glory, without spot or wrinkle. Think again of the image that was read for us from, from Ezekiel 16 of, uh, of the wife that, that's been redeemed. There's a picture of Israel being redeemed by God, but, but, but this, this is, Paul is intentionally bringing those images to mind here. Think maybe... Well, especially think of, of your own wedding day. And husbands, I trust you can remember that moment when you first saw your wife come through those doors and begin to, to walk down that aisle, radiant, beautiful, the, the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your life. In a white gown. Do you remember that? So first, it, it's not been that long for me, but I still remember very clearly. I, I, I trust that by God's grace, I, as long as my memory remains, that I will continue to remember that until the day I die. One of the sweetest moments of my life. And that's the picture of, of what Christ is doing for his church. The picture is of, of physical perfection, but it points here to something much deeper. This, this physical perfection is meant to be an illustration of moral perfection. Now, of course, the bride's ultimate splendor only comes through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Right? We understand that. That the, the, the glory of, of moral perfection is, is that which is alien to us. It was that which was given to us, imputed to us by the work of Christ on the cross. This is our, our, we, there is no moral perfection in this life. This is something that we have received as a gift from God. This comes again through the gospel. But there's also a day by day working out of this. As whereas as always said the other day, there's a positional sanctification of a righteous righteousness in Christ. And there is a there is a uh, I don't the term used, but an ongoing day by day sanctification, a working practical working out of that sanctification. As the, the bride is, is sanctified through the word as, as he works to bring out the best in her. Notice that he is presenting the church to himself. Now husbands, when you love your wives in this way, there will be an immediate benefit. There will be an immediate benefit. You will begin to, to experience the joys of having a wife who's growing in a relationship with Christ. And that's a sweet blessing. But you're not ultimately pointing or presenting her to yourself. You're pointing it. You're, you're presenting her to him. You're presenting your, your bride to him. She, she's only your bride temporarily. 
She is His bride eternally. You are presenting her to Him, to Christ. This is an eschatological, this is an end of time goal. Your wife has been given to you for a time. But ultimately you will present her to Him. Husbands, you will give an account for this. You will give an account for the way that, that you are or are washing your wife in the water of the Word. Ask yourself, is, is your wife growing? Is she flourishing under your leadership? Well, the final purpose here in verse 27 is so that she will be holy and blameless. So that she will be holy and blameless. And there's really no question what this means. This, this clearly refers to moral perfection. Now, I'm not sure why the ESV translates it holy and without blemish because it's, it's the same words that are used by Paul in Ephesians 1.4 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Exactly the same words there in Ephesians 5.27 as are used in Ephesians 1.4. This is intentional. This is intentional. Paul is saying there that, that God chose a particular people in Christ to be holy and blameless before Him. And, and this is what he's saying here. But again, these things, these things ultimately only come through the imputation, this, this being blameless, that only comes through the imputation of our guilt to Christ. It comes through the, the, the blameless part. We are all blameless, but in the gospel, our guilt is transferred to Christ. And again, his righteousness is transferred to us, credited to our account. We're counted to be righteous. We're counted to be blameless. We're counted to be holy because of the gospel. But again, once again, there's, this is the daily, there's a daily working out as we move towards that day. Towards that day when, 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 when we will experience the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, your marriage is only temporary. The, the, the marriage of, of, of your bride to Christ is eternal. So are you helping your wife? What are you doing to help your wife to grow in godliness? Are, are you praying for her? Regularly, are, are you, and it's not just, just a quick one, Lord, please bless my wife. It's are you aware of areas that she needs to grow? <clears throat> and you pray for her directly, specifically in those areas. Are you seeking to, to bring God's word to bear on those areas lovingly and in, in, in the right timing, in the right way? Are you intentionally leading your wife in the things of God? Paul Washer says that the call to marriage is like the call to ministry. But husbands, the call to marriage is a call to ministry. The call to marriage is a call to ministry. It is a call to service. It is a call to love. And the standard for your love is Christ. How are you doing with that? 
hope you've seen this morning, this morning a, a fresh the call, the command for you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, I'm not saying I've arrived. None of us have arrived. But are you committed? Are you committed to growing in Christ-likeness, to growing in your love for your wife? I'm committed to that. I'm committed to, to loving my wife like that. And I know that, that I will continue to fail. I know that I will continue to fall short. But, but I want to, to, to give you freedom. I want to give you license. I want to encourage you to ask me. Say, John, so how are you doing with loving your wife like Christ? I want to be able to do that for you as well. I want you to be able to do that for each other. Not just out of the blue, someone you meet for the first time. I'm, I'm talking about someone with whom you have a relationship to be able to have that depth and reality of relationship, to, to be able to, 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 to honestly answer the question. And my prayer for you, as for myself, my, my prayer for, for us all husbands, is that we will love our wives like Christ loved the church. And you know what? You will. If you are in Christ, you will love your wife like Christ loved the church. How do I know that? I know that because of Romans 8, 29, among other verses. I know that, husbands, you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. Not only me who's praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Christ Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding for you. See these things afresh. Repent of your failure. Repent to the Lord. Repent to your wife. If, if your children have, have experienced you not loving your wife in this way, I, I would encourage you to repent to them as well because they have also been affected by your failure to do this. But when you see this, when, when you begin to do this, your marriage will be different. Your family will be different. Your church will be different. Your culture will be different. As God is exalted in our midst. As people look and they say, I don't know what it is with that person, but he's different. The way that he treats his wife is different. And they will ask you the reason for the hope that lies within you. They'll say, it's because of Christ. Because he gave his life for me. I want to give my life for my wife. Let's pray together.